In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Faith has been, for as long as I can remember, a part of my life. Uh, some of my earliest memories uh, from my childhood uh, occur in the church that I grew up in. And the reason I think that this is true is because my family was always at church. I, I've probably shared this with you before, but the community that I grew up in, there was always something going on, and, and my parents felt the necessity to be at every single thing it felt like. So we would be there uh, on early on Sunday for Sunday school, and then we'd stay for service. We'd go home, and then we'd come back in the evening for another service on Sunday. And then we'd be back on Wednesday for some sort of midweek service, some sort of maybe youth activity. And then we'd be back again on Thursday for choir practice, and again on Friday for youth group. And then lots of times we were back on Monday or Tuesday or Saturday, those days that were supposed to be off days because we might be volunteering to do something or attending some sort of activity. In my youth, my, my life felt like it was three parts. There was my school life, there was my home life, which was eating and sleeping, and then there was my church life, which really took up that kind of equal third of my life. And I loved this upbringing, um, and as I, as I think about it, what's interesting is, is that the reason I came to the church was not because I had some sort of large existential question, some wondering about what my life was about, but I was born into it. And so church was always a place of great comfort for me. It was a place of safety. It was a place of relationship and friendship. It was a place where I knew if I looked across the, the rail or the pew or whatever the case may be, that the person looking back into my eyes, I knew that this person cared for me. I knew that they were part of my community. I knew that they were going through something similar to what me and my family were going through. And so the church was a place where I felt great comfort, although at the time, no great question was being answered for me. And that way of living, that, that way of practicing my faith was sufficient for maybe the first decade and a half of my life, but I, I can remember when things began to shift for me. And I, I had to really think about it this week because there were lots of things that kind of happened in that, that my middle teen years, but I, I think I can pinpoint it to a specific moment. I had just gotten my license I was driving, me and my girlfriend at the time, we were driving to see one of our friends from church uh, play in a basketball game in, in Chipoli, Florida. And we were on our way when I received a phone call that my cousin had been shot and had been killed. And I had experienced death before this, but it had always been someone who was like 100 years old, right? Or they were, had been so ill for so long that it just made sense, and my apologies to anyone who, who's here that's 100. I, I'm sure you'll make 200. But what I'm saying is, is that it just made sense to me. Like those deaths were, were distant enough and were explainable to me enough, they were logical, that death remained in some sense theoretical to me. But my cousin was like five or six years older than me, and I had looked up to him, and I had spent holidays with him, and he hadn't been sick he hadn't made the best decisions, right? But it, it had put him into a situation where his life had come crashing to an end. And as I thought about that his life wasn't permanent, 
and wasn't safe, I wondered if my life also might not be permanent and safe. It was the very first moment where I felt in danger, that, that my life might not be as invincible as I thought it had been, and I wondered if other people I loved might also pass unexpectedly, and suddenly I became afraid, and it's impossible for this to happen in your life and for it not to also affect everything else. And what's interesting is sometimes when people pass, it brings us back to faith, but for me, faith was already the furniture of my life, right? It was already in the room. And so I felt myself shifting and my faith became, it became egocentric. I needed to figure out how I could obtain salvation. I needed to figure out how I could, could, could get eternal life. I needed to figure out how I could extend my own safety and privilege and comfort into the next life because life was all that I knew. And so I wondered how I might do that. And suddenly, all of my life, I got so serious about faith at 16 because suddenly I knew that life could be ripped away from us. And over the next 10 years, from ages 16 to about 25, the story is too complex to tell you all this morning, and we'd be here till like 4 o'clock, and I, I won't do that to you. But what I'll tell you is I experienced a shift that happened over a period of time. Whereas when I was 16, this shift happened suddenly. The shift that occurred after this happened over time, and suddenly I felt my heart and my mind widening. I felt God at work in my life telling me, listen, you've got to stop worrying so much about yourself. There's a, whole, there's a whole world around you, and there are things to worry about. And there are things to do with your love. There is action that needs to take place, but it's not, all, it's not all about you. I remember at 25, I enrolled at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and I remember in my orientation, the quote that the dean read to us, that Judith read last week from Raina Maria, that, that tells us that we have to learn to love the questions more than the answers. And I think all of us reach a place in our life where we begin to understand that everything even if it does have an answer, maybe that answer is unobtainable. There are just things in life that we cannot know, and we have to take by faith. But that shift began to happen for me, and I really felt like it kind of solidified at the age of 25, where my heart and my mind widened enough where I stopped acting so much on fear, and I began to be inspired to act on love. And this was a life-changing moment for me. I tell you this story today, this testimony of my own life, because the story of this young man who comes to Jesus in our gospel passage today resonates with me. Jesus is out doing ministry, and suddenly there is a young man who has knelt down before him, and he is asking the question that I was asking when I was 16. How do I obtain eternal life? His, his, his question is centered on self. How, how, do I, how do I figure this out? I have wealth, I have possessions, my life feels safe, but I know it may come to an end. Who knows what was going on in his life? And now he's looking for a way to extend this comfort and safety from this life into the next. 
And Jesus tells him, well, follow the commandments. This is, this is like the textbook answer. And this young man answers and says, I have been keeping these commandments since my youth. This is a good boy. It's a good man, right? He, he has been following the rules step by step. There, there must be something else. I'm still not sure. Even though I've been keeping these commands, I'm still not, I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not sure that I have obtained eternal life And I love this line because it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I I wonder if each of us could just put ourselves in that spot this morning, knelt in front of Christ, asking this question of concern and fear and safety-seeking and knowing that even when we ask the wrong questions, that Jesus looks at us and loves us and wants more for us And so Jesus tells him something that he's probably, as a rich man, never heard before. You lack one thing. He's probably thinking, (laughs) taking inventory of his life, what in the world could I be lacking? And Jesus tells him, go and sell all of your possessions and take the profits and give it to the poor. The man stands there in silence, not knowing what to do. He is very wealthy. He has lots of possessions. And he walks away, grieving that this is not something that he, at least at this point of his life, can do. And maybe one of the gifts of this passage is that we don't get a follow-up. Because the truth is, is that he was encountering new and challenging information that he had never processed before. And who knows what happened later in his life. Maybe the very next day he said, okay, yes, this is something I can do. Maybe it was 10 years later or 20 years later. We don't, we don't know what he did with that information other than right in this moment. And so he leaves and his, Jesus' disciples are still there and Jesus tells them, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful and we just concentrate on this first part of the passage, we might think that this is just about wealth. But then Jesus says it again. And this time he says, children, how hard is it for anyone, for people to enter the kingdom of heaven? And the disciples are confused and flabbergasted and they are wondering maybe about themselves and Jesus says a third statement, for mortals it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven, but with God all things are possible. The man comes to Jesus with a question about eternal life, but Jesus pivots away from that topic of eternal life and begins to talk about the kingdom of of God. Do you know what the difference between asking, how can I obtain eternal life, and asking, how can I live into the kingdom of God? Do you know what the difference between those two statements or questions would be? Eternal life is concerned only with me. Eternal life, seeking salvation, is only about, it's about me. It's about taking care of me and worrying about everything else later. And so Jesus subtly challenges 
his disciples and this man who has come asking questions to stop worrying so much about himself and themselves and to begin to begin to start worrying about how they might love other people and the rest of creation and how they might invite the kingdom of God into every space that they inhabit. And the disciples then are confused. And they're asking, who then can be saved? And they begin to kind of give their own resume. We have given up everything. We've left our families. We've left our homes. We've left our careers. We've followed after you. We have nothing in our pocket. If it's impossible, then, then what do we do? And it's, Jesus has to remind them again, your salvation is not your job because it is impossible for mortals to obtain salvation, eternal life, security. The only way that salvation is available to us is through relationship with God who holds all power and yet chooses it not for God's own glory, but, but for pursuing relationship with us. The question I want to ask you today as reconcilers is what kind of church would we become? What kind of individuals would we become? But what kind of church collectively would we become if we worried less about securing our own salvation or obtaining eternal life and we worried more about building the kingdom of God? What would that look like in this community where Barrington runs into Starcrest? What would that look like here in San Antonio? What would that look like right here in our neighborhood if we gave up our pursuit of the impossible, which is salvation, and if we cherished and held on to the good news that God already has that part handled? You are already saved. The love of God has already changed your life. And now it's time to act to take this love that has been modeled for us by Christ who became incarnate and came into our world and gave up everything and took on human flesh and showed us what love looks like wrapped in human flesh. What if this was the model for moving forward, for acting in the world? What if we worried less about ourselves? And what if we were like God who uses who uses time to care for other people. My prayer for this church is that we can give up those selfish pursuits and that we can begin to join God in the work of the greater salvation of not just ourselves, but of the entire world. Because that's what God loves. Not just you, not just me, not just people that live in our homes and look like us, but God loves everyone. Amen.